Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Hi friends, welcome back. I have some big news to share with you. When I logged into my account to start recording today's episode, I saw that we have reached 5,000 plays, actually 5,002. That is 5,002 people that have listened to these unsolved cases. Some of these cases you may not have even have heard before. We are giving these victims a voice, and I am so glad and grateful that I can be this vessel to bring them to you. So please remember to continue to share the episodes, the Facebook group. We need to just get these stories out to the masses because you never know when one of these cases are going to get solved, and it could be you that helps just incredible importance to to really get this information out there. So before we get into today's case, I wanted to tell you guys about something that I've been using this week. Um, when my son was a junior in high school, this would have been 2021, and they went back, they This was after, you know, the COVID um, shutdown where the kids were all doing remote. But when they went back to school, they were not allowed to use their lockers. Well, as you know, high schoolers, they go from class to class and they have books and they have notebooks and there's just so much for them to carry. And they, they were not allowed to use their lockers. So they had to go from class to class with this enormous amount of books and notebooks and everything else. So... A lot of the books went online and they were allowed to bring laptops so that they could access the books. And that was great. But that didn't solve the writing problem. So my son, uh, he did some research on his own and he found out about uh, e-ink and e-writers, which is just basically an electronic tablet that allows you to to write. Now, yes, you can do a lot of those same things on tablets like iPads and stuff like that. Heck, I'm doing the recording right now on my iPad Pro. I love my iPad. I draw on my iPad. I do all I do photo editing on my iPad. However, for me, it's not really conducive to the writing aspect. So, I bought my son the the actually the remarkable two is what it's called. It's like a ten and a half inch tablet. It's about the it's roughly about the size of a piece of paper, and you can just put so much information and on on this tablet you can write erase. There's just so much you can do, and that's basically all you can do is just write and save it, and that's about it. But that's really all you need to do, and you can actually like. Your, your handwriting on this on this screen and you can actually convert it to text 
and send it in like a in like an email form or whatever, to like a Word doc or something. I haven't done that yet. But I when I bought it for my son, I was like, oh, this is so cool. You know, I could use this for work. I'm going to buy myself one. And then it sat in a closet for two years. I think I used it once. You know, it just it really sticky notes worked better for me at the time. <laughs> but uh, when I realized that I had gone when I started doing this podcast, I bought a bunch of notebooks. And when I realized I filled up like the sixth one, and I I'm like, where do I store these? You know, I just had all this waste of paper. So the other day, I found my remarkable two tablet and I charged it up and I, I got it all set up. And it's just insane. I currently, I've essentially taken all of my um, cases that I'm working on and I've set up a notebook on this tablet for each case so that when I see things, when I hear things, when I read things, I can just go to that case. I don't have to dig through notebooks. It's just really been an awesome tool. And this is not a plug for Remarkable or anything like that. That's just the particular one that I'm using. But my point being, if you have high school students or college students, or if you're a writer, anything like that, if you use a lot of paper, um, I'm the kind of person like I love journals. I collect journals. And I never write in them. They're beautiful. I don't, I don't want to mess them up. You know, I, but I love to write, you know, so this has just been such an amazing tool for me over just over this last week. I'm just blown away about how much that I've used it. And I even have a notebook on here for my to do list at work. So I am using it for work as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I think it would make a, an incredible graduation gift for college students, you know, kids that are graduating from high school, going into college. Um, it's, there's just so much that you can do. My son could sit here and tell you a million things that he does with his, and he, he lives and dies by his, by his e-tablet. And I honestly, I'm starting to understand why I always like, it didn't make any sense to me, but now that I've used it so much. It's, it's really, it really is remarkable. <laughs> but I've also looked into a few other brands as well. And there's a ton of them out there. There's a super note. There's one called Books, B-O-O-X. They just came out with one that I'm probably going to be upgrading to um, because it has some other features that I really like that I would probably use more. But this is just a black in, you know, a black and gray screen. It's, nothing special, but it really, it allows you to really maximize your work. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I really thought that it was something pretty cool and could be beneficial to a lot of people. So, okay. Uh, so let's get on with today's case. Today's case is one that is very close to where I live. I mean, literally, I think it's maybe seven or eight minutes away. It's extremely close. I actually drive by the um, home that this happened in when I go to get my eyebrows waxed. Um, I know that's weird. But yeah, I mean, it's like literally close to my house. So I remember hearing about it when it happened. And then I never really heard anything else about it. And that fact alone is really going to play into the coverage of this case. I was contacted 
um, actually by a friend of mine. It was suggested by her that I cover it. So that's what I'm doing. But I have to tell you, and one of the reasons that it's unsolved is that it's freaking crazy. It's like in 2016, for us to have as little information as we do, I'm honest to goodness, mind blown. And this is not small town USA, as we've talked about before. This is the Detroit metro area, six or seven minutes outside of Warren, which is like, what, the third biggest city in Michigan. And the information we have is so, so small. It's unbelievable. So anyway, so there's not a lot that I can provide you, but I do want to tell this story. And I, the reason I want to tell it is because, like I said, there's, I have not seen like a lot of follow up on this and it really bothered me. This is my local news. I mean, I watch the news. I, I really have not seen much follow up on this. So let, let's talk about this. This is, this is the case of a, a couple, a husband and a wife married for over two decades, they were known to literally give anything to somebody in need. James McHugh and Christy McHugh. James went by Jim. Jim was born July 12th, 1958. And Christy was born July 4th, 1960. And they both passed away on January 14th, 2016. Now, January 14th, let, let's think about that for a hot minute. That is very close to the end of the Christmas season. Now, I'm the kind of person this past Christmas um, my son opened his last present at, I think we got a late start, probably 11, 11 o'clock. I think the tree was down by one. It's, at this point in my life, I don't have a lot of time, <laughs> per se. But uh, Jim and Christy, from what I've read, you know, definitely they loved the holidays. And they had this beautifully decorated tree and very cared for ornaments that were cherished. And the evening of January 14th, Christy was sitting in her living room on the floor and she was packing away the ornaments. Now, I know, I don't know if I really talked about my former roommate, who is my best friend. Um, her name is Kim. And when I lived with her, we had a big, beautiful tree and she had just a variety of beautiful ornaments and she painstakingly wrapped each one in tissue paper and then she packed them carefully away and her ornaments were pristine and perfect. Like I said, I don't have time for that, but some people, they, those are just cherished things. And so I, I can just envision Christy sitting on the floor of her living room, packing up her ornaments the same way that I would watch Kim do when she took down our Christmas tree. 
And um, unfortunately, she didn't get to finish packing up her her treasures because um, somebody came into her home and killed her. So there are so many articles that I've read from 2016. Like I said, there hasn't been a whole lot of follow-up on this case, but the articles that I read in 2016 or from 2016 state that Jim had been outside shoveling the snow. Now, that's that's what I was going with. Like, I literally, if I have five or six different articles telling me that Jim was outside shoveling the snow, then that's what I'm going to believe. However, I also pulled up historical weather data from January 14th, 2016 on eight different sites. And none of them had snow that day or the previous day. So as much as I would love to say, yes, Jim was outside shoveling snow, I don't know how accurate that was. And what bothers me about that is that one of my theories plays into the snow. So to actually two of my theories, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm going to tell you what the news reported at the time, and then I'm going to talk about those theories later. So according to the articles that I read that were published in 2016, Jim McHugh was outside shoveling snow. And then when he was done, he came into his house, or not his house, I'm sorry, he came into his garage. They had an attached garage on, um, it was a small ranch house with an attached garage. This is a very, uh, this, this, I don't call it a neighborhood, really. It's just like a little subdivision. They were two, they were the second house off of a main road. There was an office building on both sides of the corner. So if you think about it, a main road with a side street, okay, on the corners of that side street on either side, excuse me, um, I got hiccups, <laughs> on either side were office buildings. And then further down was like a little strip mall. And they are, like I said, the second, so they're the second house from one of these office buildings. The houses in this area, the houses in my, they're, they're very similar to the houses in my area. They're close together. You may have a driveway that separates the houses and that's about it. Okay. So Jim, according to the news articles, was shoveling his snow and he went into his garage. Now his garage also had a side door. So I'm not exactly sure where the point of entry of the assailant was, whether or not Jim had his garage door open or whether or not he came in from the side door. But while Jim was in his garage, I, Jim had like a workbench in his garage and Christie's car was parked in the garage. While Jim was in his garage after, I'm going to say, quote unquote, shoveling the snow, he was essentially ambushed. He was hit in the head with such force that it knocked him out. He dropped to the ground. Okay. Then, and 
I really hate to say then because I do not know exactly if Jim was attacked first or if Christy was. But Christy was, like I said, in the living room packing up her ornaments when when she was found the tape and the scissors that she was using to pack up the ornaments were found with her she it is believed that she tried to get away because she was close to the front door her assailants um beats her to death both jim and christy died from blunt force trauma so much so that when the authorities arrived at the house the officers believed that they had been shot or at least christy had been because of the amount of blood at the scene so let's just go back a tiny little bit and let me tell you again about jim and christy like i said they were married for two for I believe 20, 20 years. Uh, Jim had been married previously. He had two children. He had a daughter and a, and a son. And unfortunately, um, a few years before Jim passed away, his son passed away as well. So that leaves, you know, like I said, his, just his daughter there. She did not live with them, but you know, he did, he was survived by his daughter. So, um, Christy actually worked with her brother, her and her brother, and I believe another business associate owned a business together. And then Jim worked for a company in Shelby Township, which is just north of where they lived. And the morning of January 14th, actually it was the morning of January 15th, Christy did not show up for work. And... Her brother was definitely concerned because it was just very odd. And he called the house and there was no answer. He called her cell phone. There was no answer. And they drove. So he actually, I believe it was like around 11 o'clock that day, he drove by their house and he saw Jim's car out front, but he didn't see Christy's car. So, and Jim had had some health problems, so he figured, okay, maybe Christy took Jim to the doctor in her car, and she just forgot to tell them. Well, later on that day, when they still could not reach either Jim or Christy, they got concerned. And so her brother showed up at her house to go, you know, to check. And actually, her other brother showed up at the same time. Like, they both had this intuition feeling that something was wrong and they both pulled up in front of the house at the same time and you know one brother asked the other one you know did you go in yet and he was like no not yet well they they get up to the house and they open up the garage door and what they found was Jim their brother-in-law whom they loved like their brother there was no in-law here this was their brother um, they found him deceased on the floor of the garage, lying in a pool of blood. And from what I've read, um, Jim was not, this was not, and I, I even hate to say this, but this just tells you the cruelty of this murder. Jim did not die when he was attacked. 
he actually survived the majority of the night from what I've read. And he passed away from blood loss from his bleeding head wound. So that really just, I mean, come on, it's just so horrendous to think that a human being could be capable of such brutality. So as her brothers are standing there in the garage, you know, remember, you know, Christy's car was not, they didn't see Christy's car outside. So they're like, oh God, you know, you know, this is horrible, but thank God Christy's not home. And then her one brother realized that he was actually leaning up against Christy's car. Her car had been in the garage. So they knew that they needed to go inside the house. And I'm pretty sure they knew what they were going to find, but you know, they had to. And they went into the house and they found their, their sister. And as a, as a sibling, I can't even imagine the, the shock and the grief and the pain that they felt in those moments. And it really just truly breaks my heart that, that they had to be the ones to find her like that. And, you know, kind of if I could just literally just hug them, I so would because it just, it's such, I just can't even imagine. So they did what, what you would, what you would do. They called the police and the police came over and they investigated. And as I said, the, the police, when they arrived, they assumed that they, that Christy had been shot because the, the force of her beating, the amount of blood in the home was so gruesome that that they literally they thought she had been shot and can you imagine let's just think about this for a second the amount of force needed to beat someone to death that's that's a lot this isn't just like some rando you know this is this took effort like, I, I personally think that Jim was probably ambushed, probably from behind or something. Um, and like I said, I'm going to get it. We're going to get into theories in a minute. And there's a reason that I say that. But Christy probably, like I said, she was heading towards the door. So she probably saw this coming and she probably put up a fight. I don't even think they could tell if, she, if there were defensive wounds because of the beating that she took. But this person literally just like went way, way, way above and beyond and, and just did things that just were not, ugh, I'm sorry. It's just, just the thought of it. And just think that this happened so close to where I live and it's such a quiet, quiet community. Clinton Township is just, it's just a very, you know, small community. It just blows my mind. But so Here's a couple of things I want you to know. Um, number one, according to police, no forced entry was found. So as I said, either the garage door was opened. Um, the side of the garage door was open. Now, I lived in a house where we had an attached garage and we had a side door on that garage. Um we never used it. It stayed locked. But I know some people who use their side doors and they leave it unlocked. So I don't know if that was the case. I don't, I have not seen anything about whether or not the, 
the side door was locked or not when police arrived. I did make a conscious effort not to contact the family on this one because I do know that it is still raw and fresh and I did not want to overstep. So I was not able to ask questions that I normally would ask. But according to the police, no forced entry was found. And I do think that that's very important. Um, as I said before, according to multiple, multiple articles that I read, in fact, Every single article that I read from 2016 stated that Jim was outside shoveling snow. Now, keep that in mind because some people feel that the killer could potentially be somebody that they knew because Jim, nobody heard Jim scream for help. Now, when I was initially investigating this case, that statement that I've seen repeatedly, it, it was kind of lost on me because it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I was thinking, okay, if you're out shoveling snow, people are probably using snowblowers. Okay. They're, you know, things are going to be a little bit louder when there's snow outside because people are shoveling. You got the scraping of the shovels. You've got the you've got the snow blowers and things like that. They live really close to a main road that can muffle screams. Okay, my my dogs are very 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 loud. Okay? When I'm outside, yeah, sometimes I can hear them barking, but if there's other noises going on, I can't hear them. Now, I'm thinking that their obnoxious barking is louder than the scream. And if my next door neighbor was using his snowblower or somebody across the street was using their snowblower, I'm not going to be able to hear my dogs barking. So that the idea of it being somebody that they knew because nobody heard screams did not make sense to me at all because I just figured somebody was probably using a snowblower. If Jim was outside shoveling the snow, if there was enough snow on the ground for him to have to shovel it, because I know people in my neighborhood shovel you know, snow blow an inch. You know, they if if it's snowing, they they clear it. They don't want to deal with the shovel. They use a snowblower. Clinton Township is um, houses are very nice. It's um, a upper scale community. The I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to be pretty sure a lot of them people use snowblowers. So that I kind of discounted that portion of the belief that it was somebody they knew because nobody heard the screams. But then going back to where I did the research about the weather and there was, according to all the, the weather sources that I looked at, the historical weather data, there was no snow that day or the day before. So if I'm wrong, my apologies, but I, I, because I wanted to know how much snow was out there and I could not, I could not find any. Uh, the only thing I could think of is possibly if it had snowed like days prior and then they had been out of town, but I didn't see any record of that either. So, you know, some people go out of town after Christmas, so, but I, I did not see anything along those lines. The other thing that I thought about in regards to the snow was the fact that, um, as I said, according to 
the police reports, the scene was very, very, very bloody. There was blood all over the garage. There's blood all over the house. What color is blood? Blood is bright red. What color is snow? Snow is white. If there was snow on the ground, how did the perpetrator get from the house and get away without leaving a trace of blood? So that, to me, I found to be really interesting, but it would make a little bit more sense if there wasn't snow on the ground. So, and honestly, I mean, I don't think anybody's recollection is really going to stretch that far. Honestly, I, I don't know. Um, regarding a motive, according to police reports, there were no items taken from that house. So let's think about that for a minute. Robbery was obviously not the motive. Now, from what I've read, Christy was, I don't want to use the word neat freak, but she was very, very tidy. Um, she, I believe it was Jim's sister had been recovering. I don't know if she had surgery or something, but she had been staying with them for a while. So she was actually able to help the authorities kind of do like a walkthrough of the house because Christy was very particular about where things went. Everything had its place. So she was kind of able to tell the police if something was missing or not. And, um, nothing was missing. So where is the motive here? That keeps coming into play for me. Like, where's the motive? I even went as far as like trying to figure out, did, and this is going to sound so horrible because I'm, I've been racking my brain. This one has been on my list for like, since the beginning of doing this podcast. And I have just tried to get more information and there's just nothing out there. I even went as far as pulling up the tax records to see if one particular person like inherited the house, but it's not like their house was a mansion. It was just a modest home, you know? And no, it was, the house was actually sold after their passings by the estate. So it's not even like, you know, any one person benefited from their passing. It, it, it's like, where is the motive here? You have a couple who literally would give anything for anyone. So that brings me to a couple of questions. Was it somebody that they knew? Was it somebody that they knew that, you know, did not, I, I would hate to think that. Let's think about that for a second. To, you have to be a sociopath to, to beat somebody that you know to death. I mean, literally, like you've got to have a huge, massive screw loose to be able to do that. But was it a crime of passion? Was there, was there a reason for this? Or was it somebody walking by and 
just decided, hey, we're going to kill these people. I mean, come on, who would do this? Now, I'm reminded of another case, not, I believe it was after this one, the perpetrators were caught, but a a mother and her special needs daughter were literally like beaten to death in their home. And it was, you know, by two guys that they had like ran into at the 7-Eleven. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Could there be a connection there? I don't know. But I, this couple was known by so many people to do anything for anyone. And somebody took their lives away in such a horrific fashion. Now, regarding evidence, it's like there's there's none. Like, I, I did read that there was uh, DNA collected, but nothing's come of it. Okay, th- now let's talk about security cameras. Listen to this. This is insane. But those, those two office buildings that I was telling you about that are attached to those strip malls at the corner, which is like literally one house away from their house. They had cameras. They had a camera. One of those buildings had a camera pointing at Jim and Christie's driveway and their front porch. Okay. But they were not working. They were not working. What? Come on. Are you kidding me? Is that just like a fluke? Or were the cameras tampered with? I... I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I'm literally like completely blown away by this. This this crime was so horrific and so brutal. If nobody's come forward at this point, it's like did how can you commit something so gruesome and not like open your mouth and tell somebody, you know, like I, if, I don't know, I'm completely mind blown. I, I just don't understand. Like you literally have to have no conscience whatsoever. Um, the lead detective in the case I'm going to go back one page in my notes here. Um, There is a podcast about this case called Already Gone. And I'm going to uh, highly recommend that you listen to it. The The podcast host, and I do not her know her, her first name is Nina. I do not remember her last name, but she's amazing. She actually is from Michigan and she covers a lot of Michigan cases. Already Gone is the podcast. She actually spoke spoke to two of Christie's brothers. And like I said, I did not want to to do that myself. I didn't want to overstep um for 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 reasons I'm not going to mention, but um she covered she gave a lot more detail. And I'm basically giving you a lot of what she said as well, but she gives you some um additional emotional content because she does have recorded interviews with one of Christie's brothers. But according 
She also spoke to the lead detective in the case, and he is a veteran. I'm sorry, actually, this was not from that podcast. The lead detective in the case, who was a veteran of the of the Clinton Township Police, told um, Channel 7 WXYZ that Jim and Christie's murder was one of the most violent he's ever seen. Now, just think about that. This guy has been on the force for years, and this is the most violent that he's ever seen. But there was no blood outside. That, I think for me, that is the one thing that keeps sticking into my head. Like, did the killer clean up in the bathroom? How did this person get out of the house without, number one, somebody seeing him? Because this is not like a widespread out area. This is a very tight community. The homes are close together. If, if there was snow on the ground, that tells me that there's going to be more people outside shoveling. When, when my neighbor, when it snows in my neighborhood, I'm telling you, there's at least five or six people out at at any given time shoveling the snow. How did somebody not see this? Did they lay, did the person stay in the house and lie and wait until two, three in the morning when everybody's in bed? I, possibly because it's believed that they were murdered in the evening. I believe I read something about between, and I wrote it down, I just can't find it in my notes, but I believe it is believed that they were murdered sometime between like six and eight or in the evening of July 14th. They were not found until the next day. So seriously, like it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. There's no way that crime could have been committed without the perpetrator being covered in blood. That's going to tell me that his, however he got home or however he left the scene was also going to be covered in blood. Because if you're covered in blood, you're going to transfer it. Did nobody notice when they got, I mean, there's just so many questions, so many questions that just nobody has answers to. And there is a $50,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of the perpetrator of this crime or perpetrators. There very well may have been two. And I've read, I, I, you know, I even, I deep dived this on Reddit and I am not a Reddit person because I don't like to go down, um, rabbit holes of people who don't know what they're talking about. No offense to people who, who comment on Reddit, but generally speaking, it's just a bunch of theories. I want to get my information from reliable sources, but I did, I went down the ra- the Reddit rabbit hole just trying to see if anything made sense. And there was a lot of debate between one versus two assailants. And the big debate was that a lot of people who believe there were two were saying that there's no way that they could both be subdued. But I think people are forgetting that if somebody came in from behind Jim and hit him and knocked him out because from what it sounds like to me is that the force the blow to his head was so severe that 
he just went down to the ground. I don't, it does not, from what I've read, I have not seen that he was repeatedly beaten the way Christy was, that he was, he had a blunt force injury to his head. Um, and that was it. So I'm thinking Jim was hit and then he went down and then the perpetrator went into the house. That's my theory. And then he gets into the house. Christy sees him. She tries to get away and he overpowers her. That's how I see it in my head. I don't know. You know, nobody is going to know until the person confesses and actually tells us what happened. The person or persons. Um, I don't think that you can really conclude that there were two people just by the assumption of you can't overpower two people at the same time. And that's, but that is also why I do believe that Jim was killed first is, or subdued first, because I do not believe that it would be possible for Christy to have been killed and Jim not hear that. So I do believe that the, the perpetrator came in through the garage, subdued Jim, and then went after Christy. So, uh, neighbors were interviewed. Nothing came from that. Nobody saw anything odd in the area. There are literally no reports. There's... Serious. Like, I've never seen any cases that have this little evidence. And I am sure the police probably have something and they've been holding back. It kind of reminds me a little bit, and obviously not in the same way, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of the in, um, the Delphi, Indiana murders. And the reason I say that is because the police had so much more information than, than what they were providing to the public. They held so much back and it actually angered quite a because a lot of the the groups that I'm in that have discussed the Delphi murders a lot of the people especially the people of Delphi were so angry that the police held back that information for as long as they did because the killer was living amongst them I mean like the killer was going to he was literally like visit they hit that one whoo that one gets me. Um, but the killer was probably visiting the same grocery store that these that these sweet, beautiful girls' parents were going to. Um, I understand why people were upset, but I also understand why the police held back as much as they did, because now they got their guy, and there's no denying that they got their guy. Okay, so I think that police holding back evidence is is can be extremely useful especially when it comes to convictions so you know i don't necessarily get angry when police hold things back but at the same time i this one it's like there's literally nothing i mean let's like give us a bone or something give us something that we can go off of i mean sometimes i'll even go as far as if there's like a little piece of something that I can kind of run with, then I'll do that. But there's this one, there, there's really nothing. And I, it breaks my heart because I really wanted to, I, a friend of mine requested that I cover this, this case. 
and um, I wanted to to cover it well for her, but until the police give us something to go off of, some kind of something. Like, was there blood evidence outside? Was there a trail? Was there something? Do the police believe that the killer was laying in wait until the middle of the night where he could sneak out, you know, something? Did, I mean, I know 2016 was a while ago, but I, people had cameras, right? I, security cameras. I mean, I know we've had our ring doorbell since 2018, but I know we were kind of late to the game. So there had to have been doorbell cameras. Around, I would think there would have been door, door, doorbell cameras around this time. Now, if you were to look, I will say this though. If you were to look at the, like a Google map view of, of the neighborhood, it, there were not like houses pointing directly towards them. So I kind of get, you know, the, just the way the streets were lined up. I I do understand how there's a potential that um, it wasn't caught on like a home security camera, but I just wish the police would give us a little bit something else. I mean, here it is. It's been what, nine years later and there's still nothing. And I think what, what concerns me most is the fact that um, this killer is still out there. I mean, yes, this family needs closure. These victims need justice. But there is a seriously deranged person out there who did things that are so unspeakable. Now, the one saving grace, I have to say, is that there, and I, and I feel this very deeply in my heart, there is no evidence that I've seen to suggest that Christy was assaulted sexually. So I'll leave it at that. But that to me is just like a blessing in that respect that she did not have to suffer twice. Um, so I really, I, I, like I said, I wish I could go into more detail, but there's just, there's nothing, no, no motive, no forced entry, no, no witnesses, nothing stolen. You know, was it a crime of passion? Was it somebody they knew? Was it just a crazy deranged person with a thirst for death walking down the street thinking, mm, there's an opportunity. And it does happen. It really does. I mean, Ted Bundy, let's hello. I mean, dude would just see somebody and be like, there you go. There was no stalking. I think most of his victims, there was no stalking. This was just like, hey, here we, this is what I want to do today. You know, I mean, there, that is a possible, a possibility, but I don't know. You would just think in 2016, we'd be able to get a little bit something more out of this, but so with that being said, if you lived in that area in 2016 and we're, we're talking about, I believe it's like the Hayes Road 17, 18 mile area. So if you're listening, if you're listening to this podcast and you're from the Clinton Township, Shelby Township, Warren, Fraser, Sterling Heights area, okay, that's going to be the northeast part of Metro Detroit and you lived in that area in 2016, 
uh, you know, think back. I mean, like I said, it was close to the holidays. Um, you never know, you know, were you at the gas station and you just saw something that didn't feel right? Speak up. As I said, you can always reach me on the Michigan Facebook, Facebook group, uh, Michigan Unsolved Facebook group. Um, I'm always available. I'm always here to listen. Um, or contact the Clinton Township Police Department, please, because anything could trigger a lead. And with that, that was uh, the horrific, brutal murder of Jim and Christy McHugh. This poor, sweet, sweet couple who would give the shirt off their back to help a person in need. And um, they were stolen away from their family way too soon. And I'm sure um, every holiday season when their family is putting up their Christmas tree and taking it down, they cannot help to think about the last moments of Christy's life as she painstakingly wrapped up her treasured ornaments one minute and the next minute was fighting for her life. This has been Michigan Unsolved. Until next time. <laughs>